Welcome to Taking the Helm with Lynn McLaughlin. We're making the emotional well-being of our children and youth the number one priority. Lynn and her guests are helping us learn and model proven healthy emotional habits to become rock-solid support systems for ourselves, our families, and communities. Now, here's your host. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a fabulous day or evening wherever you are in this world. I want to thank you again, as I did in our last show, for helping us be in the top 10% of podcasts globally. It's only because of you, our listeners, that we're able to do that and celebrate all of the guests that we bring to you on Voice America Radio. And if you missed last week with Emily McDermott, she helped us learn how to declutter our homes, our heads, and our hearts. Who would have thought that decluttering would bring us peace of mind and actually set amazing examples for our children? Now, hold on to your hats, everyone, as we welcome Ann Coleman with us today. Her son struggled with anxiety, depression, drug misuse, exacerbated by ADHD for a couple of really rough years in high school. And her attempt to fix him and control his behavior made things much worse. It took several years for her to figure out how to help him and repair that relationship step-by-step. She's undertaken a course of self-study that makes her law school days look like kindergarten. We're going to talk about how she turned things around, how we parent teens from every perspective, from neuroscience to mindfulness and everything in between. Well, Anne, uh, it's been a complicated day for you and for me, and I'm just so appreciative that you could join us. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. Oh, me too. Me too. Okay, let's start with why you are doing what you're doing today with the struggles of your son. There are so many of our listeners, including myself, that I know can relate to you and your experiences to some degree. Yeah. Well, a few years ago, he w- when he was 16 and 17, we went through just a hellacious time. He has ADHD. He also has anxiety, has had it his entire life. And then his, I guess it was sophomore, junior year, something like that. He became, he, his anxiety got a ton worse. We switched schools. He had a new friend group. He had a breakup with that friend group. Things started going off the rails there. His anxiety got worse. His, his depression then set in. He was diagnosed with, um, major depression. He had suicidal tendencies. We, and then the, the emotions he was having, it was all this outward rage and anger. And we had no idea what was going on. We didn't understand. We were going to therapists and counselors and, and he was um, smoking marijuana. So we were going to drug counselors. We were, we had our psychiatrists and the psychologists and the whole thing. And all throughout this time, what happened was my emotions got triggered by this, um, the mainly the substance use. My brother was a drug addict. So in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, dear God, here we go. This he's going to go down this road and it's going to be horrible and he's going to ruin his life. So I started this whole controlling punishment, very authoritarian parenting because I was by God, not going to let this happen. And all I got from that was rebellion and lying and sneaking around and going undercover. And I made his anxiety worse. I also have anxiety and ADHD. So it was a mess. And my poor sweet husband, who's as calm as a cucumber and knew better was, you know, fighting me the whole way. So we were at each other's throats. It was a mess. So he finally ended up, we had to uh, put him in a psychiatric hospital for a few days. And from there, we went to a residential treatment center halfway, well, not halfway across the country, all the way across the country. And finally, at that residential treatment center, a family therapist said, okay, you you don't really get this, do you? <laughs> like, no, obviously I don't. He was trying to tell me how to talk to him and how to um, acknowledge his emotions and how to validate him. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying to me. I don't get it. And he's like, okay, go read this book, No Drama Discipline by Dan Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson, which is for parents of toddlers, basically. And here I am with you know a nearly 18-year-old by this point. And so I'm like, okay, I'll read the book. I start reading the book and I'm like, oh my Lord, how did I not know this stuff? How did I not intuitively know how to do this? And it, it was so eye-opening. It really kind of introduced me to the whole concept 
of emotions and emotion coaching and emotional intelligence and, you know, how our emotions as parents come into it and all this stuff that I had no idea. I literally sat and cried as I read the book. And by that point, it was like, you know, weeks away from him turning 18 and from coming home from the residential treatment center. And I started trying my best to initiate some of these things. And I kept reading and I kept learning and we kept trying. And within weeks, it was, you could see a difference in our, in our relationship, in his behavior, in his anxiety levels. You know, the, the residential treatment center was wonderful. It got him the counseling every day. It, you know, it was a change of scenery. It was what we needed, I think, to kind of start the process. And obviously I would have never gotten the help I needed had he not gone there, but it was, it was our change, my change in behavior that made all the difference with his behavior. And he just got home last night. He's visiting. He's 22. He's doing great. His whole outlook on life is different. He's positive. I mean, so my immediate thought when things started changing was I have got to help other parents know this stuff. You know, I'm a pretty smart girl and I didn't know this. And so I know there are millions of people out there who have no idea that the parenting style they're using is sending their kid down the wrong road and that the behavior they're seeing is not just the kid. I wanted my kid fixed. I'm like, somebody needs to fix this kid. But it was me that was causing most of the issues. So that's why I started, you know, the the whole, all the research I've done, four years of research, I've done tons of writing and you know, I've written myself a book and I started a podcast about a year ago. So, you know, th- this is my whole mission is to help other parents avoid the mistakes that I made and to learn about these things that we have to know as parents to help our kids through adolescence. I just, oh, pins and needles. I I can't imagine what that was like walking in pins and needles. What would you find when you opened a door? Oh, Oh, right. And then, and, and as every mother would do the, our intrinsic need to save, I have to save my son. I have to save my child. And I think what I'm hearing you saying is that really blocked, it blocked you from seeing uh, that stepping back. I guess is way maybe way I'm interpreting. Let's go to the let's go to the book with no drama discipline. What were a couple yeah. of really key things that you did, like concrete examples? Right. Well, what what the book? I mean, and again, it was for parents of toddlers. But what it pointed out was that when as parents we have this whole agenda in our head that we bring to every interaction with our kid. And he, I love how Dan Siegel, um, well, and Tina, they explain it as our shark music. Like we have this whole, you know, if we have a negative attitude or a, um, you know, we're seeing our child as acting inappropriately and that they should be behaving a certain way that we have this agenda in our head that we've got to stop this behavior rather than looking at why the behavior is happening. And that was eye-opening for me. It's like, well, I never really thought about why the behavior is happening. My whole goal was to stop the behavior. You know, and you hear people say it all the time, stop it, stop it, stop it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, as parents, instinctively, we want our kids to behave properly. And so our first instinct is just to say, don't do that, do this. But what you have to understand is if they are acting inappropriately, there is an underlying reason why that is happening. And as they get older, those reasons get a little more complicated. But what you want to do is try to figure out where are they coming from? What are they thinking right now? What is what need do they have or what skill do they not have yet that they are compensating for by having this emotional meltdown or by lying, or by stealing something, or by using a drug that they shouldn't use. And, you know, with an adolescent, it's a little bit different than the way, you know, they explain it in this book, because the brain is doing some very unusual things during adolescence. The adolescent brain, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where, you know, I went from that book into studying the adolescent brain and neurobiology, neuropsychology for about a year. But that's the thing that if parents don't understand what that brain is doing and what it causes, the behaviors it causes, there's a lot of misinterpretation and misunderstanding 
of your kid's behavior, you know, people think, oh my God, they're manipulative. They're manipulating me. They are doing this on purpose. They're mean. They're hateful. They're entitled. You know, I've, I've seen it and heard it all. And I thought those things as well. But what we have to understand is what they're going through in their brain and because of all the other pressures, the outside pressures that they have, school and academic pressure, getting into the right college, their friends, social media, and then at home, clean your room, do these chores, do this. Do th- you know, it is a constant barrage of stress, which just activates their emotions even more. And as parents, We've got to realize these things to understand how to empathize with that and how to temper our own um, responses to this behavior. So that it's that's a, one of the key things for me is understanding how their brain works. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that we make when we're parenting our teens? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, so, have, we, have, <laughs> we have a few. Well, the, the big thing is, like I said, understanding and being empathetic and understanding their behavior is due to the, their emotional center in their brain is revved up and hypersensitive. It takes everything as um, a threat. Even the mother's voice scientifically has been shown that just our voice alone is threatening to an adolescent's amygdala, which means when we say, you know, honey, do you want toast or muffin for breakfast? And they go, that is their amygdala reacting as if we've thrown a snake in their lap because that's what it does to them. So understanding those things, because the mistakes we make in part are due to us misinterpreting why they're doing these things. So that's one big thing, learning about that brain. Another big mistake we make is allowing our own emotions to take over and not being able to regulate our emotions. So when we get angry about a certain thing or we get upset, which is partially due to us not understanding why they're acting the way they're acting, but when we're triggered and we yell and we lecture and we try to reason with them while they're melting down, or we try to make them stop acting, you know, dramatically or emotionally, all of those are mistakes because when they are upset You can't just make them stop being upset. We have to help them. We're the ones that have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. Their prefrontal cortex is still developing and they are not capable of rational thought all the time, especially when their amygdala is activated. They are not capable of making good decisions there all the time. Sometimes they can. They're not capable of self-control or self-regulation. So we have to step in there and help them when they are acting this way. Um, We have to know what things trigger their emotions so that we can avoid those things when we can. But learning to control our own emotions, we can't help them with theirs until we can regulate ours. So understanding to step away when we don't think we can control it, to say, I need a minute. I'm going to say something I don't want to say to you right now, sweetie. So I'm going to go in the other room. Do not follow me. Or being able to learn through mindfulness meditation, through journaling your emotions, where our triggers are coming from, what it is about that wet towel on the floor in the bathroom that sends us, you know, into outer space. What is it about that, um, you know, cup being left on the coffee table that makes us insanely, you know, did our parents raise us that we weren't allowed to do anything that we had to dry the sink after we washed our hands? You know, how were we raised? Where does that come into play? Because it definitely comes into play. And so we make these mistakes by acting out ourselves. And when we do that, all we do is just rev things up more. It turns into an argument. It turns into a power struggle. It turns into hurt feelings, which then just leads to a general antagonistic relationship with your kid, which separates you even further. And it just, it leads you down this spiral. So, and another thing we do, and it kind of is is partially because of emotions and then partially because of the way we just parent, our parenting style. A lot of people were raised because our parents and our grandparents were raised with this authoritarian parenting style, which 
is my way or the highway, obedience first, blind obedience. I am the boss. You kid are going to do what I say do right now or else. And, and it's full of punishment or consequences that are like punishment. And you are setting yourself up for major failure, again, major rebellion, whether this is your emotions and your, you know, your fear takes over like mine did and you start doing this authoritarian thing, or it's just your parenting style. Either way, same result. Your kid is going to rebel, that things are going to backfire. It does not work. Now, some people think it does, thinks because they think they, they, they see maybe an immediate reaction. Like I've seen people scare the heck out of their kids. You know, I'm going to take everything away from you and, you know, you're never going to be able to go out again. And that might work on a surface level and maybe on a short term level because your kid is scared. But yeah. scare tax tactics do not work long term because guess what? They're going to just get better at lying and hiding their behavior from you and going underground and doing everything they can to keep you from knowing what they're doing. And you know what we need as parents of adolescents? We need to know what they're doing. We need them to trust us and to tell us what's going on in their life. And if you want trust and you want to know these things so that you can still actually influence their life, you better not have an antagonistic relationship with them. You're you beating better, the wolf. That's the way yes, I like to say it. You're just absolutely. beating the wolf. Absolutely. Or poking <laughs> the bear or yep. whatever you whatever want the expression it. is. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. So and of course, when we're in the middle of that or we've been raised this way ourselves, we don't see it. We think that is the only way to parent, that if we don't do this, that our kid is going to be out of control, that if we don't do this, that they're going to end up this way or that way or in trouble with the law, or it's going to skid off the rails. And what happens is in the very beginning, if you are raising your kid this way, they know as soon as they hit adolescence that they're going to have to keep things from you because if they tell you the truth, you're going to punish them. You're going to get mad at them. You're going to shut them out. You're going to shut things down. And that is not the way to go. If you want to know what's going on with them, you've got to have that connection, that relationship, that open and honest and back and forth relationship. And the only way to do that is not authoritarian, but using an authoritative style, which is so confusing, but that is the more warm and kind and still firm and have firm boundaries. But you have to do it in such a way that you are supporting your child's autonomy that they feel, because this is so important during adolescence, is they feel like they're an adult already. They feel, of course, we know this. They think they know everything already. They think they're an adult and we know they're not. But guess what? If we treat them like a child, we're doing the wrong thing. We have to step back and guide them now. We can't be the boss anymore. We have to walk beside them and we have to work as a team. We have to have discussions. We have to listen to them. We have to hear what they're saying and try to understand where they're coming from and why it is that they feel the way they feel. And we have to have this. This is a two-way street. It is no longer, if you've been doing it this way, it is no longer a boss and and a, you know, a follower kind of relationship. So Question, I, I see fear coming in here in two different ways. You know, if we're still parenting in the, the authoritative way, the way we were parenting, we're so afraid about the mistakes they're going to make. And moving into more of a mindfulness, uh, talking about our emotions and feelings, walking side by side. If we don't know how to do that, I think there's fear in that too. What do I do? What's my first step? Oh, yeah. What's, right? Oh, yeah, because you you your fear is... I'm going to be too permissive. This is permissive. It's I'm going to let them take over and things are going to be out of control. And it is. When I first started reading about this and start, started thinking about it, I'm like, okay, this is insane. How, how can this work? But I'm here to tell you because I've lived it and I've been through it. It does work. And what you're doing is you are, you are 
letting your child know that you're on their side. If they feel like they have a parent who's on their side, then they are going to want to align themselves with your values. They're going to want to do what you want them to do. They're going to, when they're out in the world and they have to make a decision, should I do this or should I do this? They're going to think, what would my parents want me to do? I don't want to disappoint my parents instead of, oh my God, my parents will kill me. But if I do it this way, maybe they won't find out, you know, Instead of thinking that way, they're going to think, you know what, if I tell my mom that I had to stay, you know, and miss curfew because my friend is drunk and I'm waiting on a ride, she'll understand. Mm -hmm. She'll get it. And I can let her know this. And the sooner we begin to do this, the easier it is. Absolutely. So, I mean, you found out about it when your son was, uh, you know, in his teens. You start doing this, you know, as they said in in the book, you know, right from infancy and on where kids are, you know, they're part, they're part of the conversation. They're part of everything that we do in a, I don't, I have the word collaborative. That's not the right word. No, what it is. is But also with boundaries. Like I think you said it earlier. Yeah. We're afraid. We're afraid they're going to do all of these things and end up in trouble with whatever, whatever, whatever. But there are natural consequences when people make mistakes. And I think it's important for them to experience that as well. Absolutely. And and that's the thing about when you're when you're doing this, the discipline part of it, which is the part that everybody worries about. Well, how do I discipline them? You know, then how, how is this supposed to work? Well, the way you do it is you do it just like you said, collaboratively, really. So what instead of issuing consequences, you know, people automatically think I just need to make this painful for them. I need to take away the phone because the phone is the first thing parents go for. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that they're going to miss the worst. And that's what's going to make it painful. And, you know, take the phone away. Take the, Well, what happens is you you can take something away. And then if it doesn't work, what are you left with? You're taking something else away. And this is what parents get into. They're like, I've taken everything away. They're they're left with the mattress on the floor and no sheets and no door on the hinges. And they're they're still uh-huh. doing what they're doing. Well, yes, they are. And here's why. When you are using consequences, first of all, you try to use natural consequences. If there's a natural consequence, you let that take effect. So if it's something like, let's say, and, and you know, grades are a little bit hard to, you know, this is something that people freak out about. But but let's say, you know, especially middle, middle school, the GPA is not counting. Instead of staying on them constantly about, you know, turning in their homework or doing the studying and doing all these things and then punishing them and grounding them if they bring home a bad grade, you let them make the bad grade and see how that feels. You let them take the zeros and see how that works out for them. And you just stand there and let it happen. In middle school, it's pretty easy to do, right? Because, you know, it's not counting. But as they get older, you know, one thing I love what um, Lawrence Steinberg says about this. He's a professor, adolescent researcher, written several books. um, And he says, if it is not dangerous, unethical, illegal, unhealthy, or likely to close some door better left open, then those are things that you can let your kid decide. Yeah. If it falls within those categories and, you know, then the it's in the parents realm. So something like grades, you know, it, as they get into high school, that's kind of very subjective because you're like, oh, is it, is it going to close a door better left open? Are they not, if they don't make this B, are they not going to be able to get into this college? Then maybe, yeah. you know, that's something that you, you need to look at. But if they are going to, let's say, um, you know, wear their hair purple, you know, that's nothing that we need to argue about. That's nothing we need to have a rule about. That shouldn't even be an issue. It was for me. Mine wanted to wear this big gaudy necklace and we had fights about it every single day and it was not worth it. So a lot of the things that we look at as far as, you know, being under the discipline umbrella, we can take right off 
the the list. The table. Yeah. yeah, right yeah. off the table. I, I want to throw in an example is that, yeah, I got my teacher hat on always, right? Oh, yes. And I think about somebody asked me this question. I teach in post-secondary now. And they said, okay, so uh, what would you do if a student threw a shoe at, uh, you know, you're at the blackboard, they throw a shoe at the front of the room. Well, the worst thing you could do is be confrontational. Who threw that shoe? You know, that, it's the same kind of thing. You know what? You pick up the shoe, you put it in your, on, on your chair, you continue with your lesson. And guess what? What's the natural con- consequence for the person who threw the shoe? <laughs> everybody's going to look at them and think they're an idiot or they're going to have thing. to come they're going to have to come and get their shoe for me yeah get their shoe the exactly <laughs> exactly you know or 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 somebody else is good anyway so all right well listen, listen so uh, many times we're not we're, we don't want to wait on those natural consequences we want to jump in there with it that's the problem yeah yeah, yeah. because we get reactive we get yep. reactive yeah well, yeah and listen we need to uh, head off to break we've talked about so much when we come back, everyone, uh, stick with us because we're going to be talking about a four-part process for parents and the Gottman method where we can understand the extra synapses in that prefrontal cort- um, cortex and so much more. We'll be right back. Our children are growing up in a world that is more complex than ever. It's time to start thinking proactively. Meet Zerko and the children who glow in the color they are feeling because they haven't learned to control their emotions yet. In the Power of Thought Children's series, we're not only teaching children about emotional vocabulary, but how to recognize how they are feeling and what they can do about it. We live on an imaginary planet called Tezra, where every character is named after a crystal. Each of the five books in the series takes children into a situation they can relate to, but teaches problem-solving skills and evidence-based strategies they can use for life. This series was developed in collaboration with clinicians, educators, parents, and guardians, and it's the winner of the Mom's Choice Award. Check it out at lynnmclaughlin.com under the Books tab. You are listening to Taking the Helm with host Lynn McLaughlin. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back from break with Ann Coleman. We've been talking a little bit about the four-part process for parents, understanding the brain, our own emotions, uh, being an emotional coach and discipline. But Ann, I understand you want to dig in deeper with some of these. Yeah. um, And and actually, I guess we didn't go too far into the emotion coaching either. I mean, the third part of this really is... um, and. Uh, John Gottman, Professor John Gottman, he is the one who actually has the Gottman method for marital relations. And so people have heard of that. Yeah. But before, I think it was before he even got into the marriage therapy arena, he was doing research on children and parents and how um, how they related to one another. And he sort of discovered this whole emotion coaching style of parenting. And what it was, was the parents who actually listened to their kid who validated their emotions, acknowledged their emotions, meaning they said, okay, I see that you're frustrated or I I understand that you're angry or you're, um, you're jealous about this thing or you're, you know, whatever it is. And kind of reflected back to them what they said about that. You know, when people um, do X, Y, Z, yes, it does make us feel that way. I get it. And isn't that empathetic listening? Yes, That's yes. What this is all about. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it's it's listening. And what you're doing at the same time is you are giving them an emotion word to describe their emotions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the um uh doctor, I mean, Dan Siegel says, you know, name it to tame it. Yeah. And it's the truth. Yeah. It's like feel it learning. To feel it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of that. So it's the same thing. It's so and 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 so many different parenting approaches and you know they everybody calls it something different but it's emotion coaching and this is kind of where it started was Dr. Gottman so you're listening you're acknowledging their emotion you're giving them an emotion word you are if you can provide some comfort with a hand on their back or on their arm or give them a hug because that brings out the oxytocin in the brain which counteracts the norepinephrine and the uh, the um cortisol in their brain and helps them begin to calm down when a teenager sees that we are listening when they're having an emotional meltdown rather than jumping in there ourselves with lecturing and correcting their behavior and telling them what to do and saying, don't talk to me like that. That is when they begin to calm down. And that's what we want. But if we say, calm down, 
you stop worrying about it. It's not that big a deal. You You're won't know these it. people. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. are dismissing their emotions. You are, you know, invalidating them. Then they start to feel like they, maybe they shouldn't feel this way. Well, I got news for you. Everybody's got a right to feel the way they feel in that moment. And what you've got to do is acknowledge that. And once you do, after it's over, if they knocked something off the wall or slammed a door or called you an ugly name or used a tone, whatever, talk to them about that after they've calmed down, after you've listened and acknowledged and done all these things. That's what is going to help your emotional connection with your child and is what is going to help them understand that they can talk to you, that you do listen. Because if they think you don't listen anyway and you don't understand, they'll never tell you anything. And so then this you take is them, huge. You could take them then to the teaching moment. All right. So, you know, what have we learned from this? Or what have you learned from this? What do you what do you think your next step is? And, yeah. and, and help, you know, help them problem solve. And problem solve. Yeah, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That's part of it is helping them problem solve. Don't jump in and solve it for them. Don't say, well, this is what you should do, or this is what I would do, or why don't you just do this? That is so hard for so many of us who think we know everything like me. So, you know, my, my whole thing was calm down. The minute he started doing his little meltdowns, my first gut reaction, because I wanted him to calm down. It freaked me out. I didn't like it. It made me anxious. So first words out of my mouth, calm down. And what did he do? Blew up. Um, yeah. yeah. Because that they're then going to try to convince us that they have the right to feel the way they feel. So they yeah, do. which mm -hmm. they do. So that emotion coaching piece is huge. And then the discipline part, which we were just kind of talking about before the break, is that we want to, again, use that listening because when they do something wrong, like we said at the very beginning, there's a reason that they did the thing they did. So you want to sit back. If they walk in um, two hours late from curfew, you haven't been able to get them on their phone, their phone's dead or you know whatever, and they walk in, instead of standing there at the door waiting to pounce and waiting to say, give me your phone, you know, you're, I'm never giving your phone back. The first words out of your mouth in a calm matter need to be, what happened? What happened? And then you sit and you wait for an answer because guess what? There may be a really good reason why they're late. I said this earlier, you know, what if they had to stay with a friend who was drunk and waiting on a ride and they didn't want to leave them, you know, it was a girl, they didn't want to leave them with a room full of drunk boys or whatever it was. There are reasons for everything. If the reason was, well, I just didn't know what time it was because my phone died, then instead of punishing them right off the bat, let's work to try to figure out the skills we need to teach them yeah. so that they don't do this next time. Mm -hmm. It's about teaching skills that they need to use for adulthood and stop thinking that your kid is an adult already. They are not. They do not have that prefrontal cortex. They can't always make good decisions. So let's use a workaround. Well, why don't we say, what if you made sure that your phone was 100% charged before you left the house next time? Or what, what if I bought you a battery charger to take with you or whatever it is? And then, but if you don't do that next time, sweetie, what, what kind of consequences? What do you think would be fair? What do you think would be fair if you got home two hours late and you didn't have any excuse other than, you know, you didn't know what time it was? Mm -hmm. Well, blah, blah, blah. So you work on brainstorming that and then let's try it give them another chance. And if they don't do it, then you say, well, you know, remember what we said, we were going to do X, Y, Z. If you're two hours late, you're going to have to come home two hours earlier the next time. So, you know, having that discussion with them is everything. They're it's part of it. They're part yes. of the solution. They're part of everything. They're engaged yes. then. They're engaged. Told. They yeah. bought into it, you know, yeah. especially if they're part of deciding what the consequences are going to be. What are they going to say when they do it another time? They agreed to this. And hey, by the way, write it down. Yeah. <laughs> write it yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Have them sign it. Maybe I, I did all that too. It's 
really hard. But, you know, having that that um, ability to regulate our own emotions in that moment, again, huge, because if you can't and you jump in there and you start lecturing and you start scolding and you take something away, you have absolutely removed the possibility that they are going to tell you anything because they know you're not going to listen. They know there's no point in telling you anything. And then the other part of this, too, is if you are going to issue consequences and you're going to talk to your kid about consequences, those consequences need to follow some guidelines. Because if they don't, it's not consequences. It's not logical consequences. They're punishments. So if, if for instance, you take the phone when they're late and them being late had nothing to do with their phone, that what's that going to teach them? It's just going to teach them that you're punishing them and they're going to be mad and that's not going to work. That pun, that consequence needs to be logically related to whatever they've done. If they snuck out of their room in the middle of the night and went to get the phone off the charger in your bedroom and took it back to their bedroom, then maybe taking the phone away for a few hours or a day or two would be a logical consequence. Yeah. Yeah. But if, you know, but the main point, and this is the thing that we have to remember, discipline means to teach or to learn. That's the root of the word. It's not to punish or to have, you know, some sort of retribution against someone. It's to teach them. They are a disciple. They are a student. We are teaching. So what we need to be thinking is how do I teach them this skill of thinking first before they act? Or how do I help them with this workaround or scaffolding this, you know, this ability to do this thing? How do we do that? And instead of thinking, how do I make it painful enough for them so that they don't mess up next time? Because that's the opposite. You're thinking about it backwards. (laughs) So think about how do you teach? How do you yeah. help them learn? And then it comes much more naturally. And this links to exactly what I do with uh, everything I'm passionate about, the proactive piece, right? And yes. they learn to be mindful. They learn to calm themselves so they can make rational choices and have those conversations with you. And I yes. say, we got. I'm going to go back to what the author of the book was saying. We, d- we could teach mindfulness to kids from two years old. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all kinds of different strategies and everyone finds what works for them. And then you can pull two or three or four out of the toolbox and remind them, well, what's, what would you like to do to calm down right now? Same thing goes for educators, you know, as a school principal, when I had a kid who was defiant, I would say, I, I, you know, I could do, I could do it better today. I will say, I will say, yeah, yeah, even was like, I, I can see that you're upset. And, you know, based on what happened, I, I probably would be upset today too, as well. Uh, we need to talk about this, but I think you need to calm down first. What would you like to do? Would you like to go for a walk or take some time for yourself? That gave them back control. I didn't wow. force them in a corner. Yeah, sometimes we got to it. Sometimes we didn't. But at least I, the blow up didn't continue and exacerbate. Yeah, yeah. It felt like I was listening. So yeah, I, just, I didn't get shout that. Out to educators <laughs> that, you know, if this goes, it's not just parenting. It's us as adults. Oh, absolutely. You know, with children and whatever capacity we, we have with them. Oh, one of the worst things, and I still have this saved. I I ran across a lady on Instagram and she was obviously a teacher, an elementary school teacher. And she had put a sign on the outside of her door that said something like there's a crying child in here that just wants attention. Nobody give attention to this child, something like that. And her post was about, you know, kids that just want attention and they just want, you know, to act out and blah, blah, blah. And I have saved that to this day. This was like four or five years ago. And what people don't understand is there's a reason that kid is crying. Exactly. They're not doing that to piss you off or to make your life miserable. They are crying because they are having an emotion that is overwhelming to them and they don't know how to articulate it. And it's the same way with adolescents. Adolescents' brains are going through the same process, almost identical to what it went through from birth to three years old. That is how much their brain is growing in this last little, you know, 10 or 15 years. And it is just like they are toddlers. They have that same 
irrational, immediate, emotional response to things. And we have to remember that. I tell people, you know, picture that big body with that little toddler head and try to remember (laughs) they used to be cuddly and cute and sweet and try to be empathetic to what they're going through. But yes, everyone needs to realize, and this is adult to adult too, because we have our moments where our amygdala takes over or our negative thoughts take over and we cannot control our emotions. And we need to be empathetic for each other and understand how that happens and remember that we do the same thing. And so being understanding and and being open and being available to listen, you know, our kids want the same thing. They want to be treated with the same respect and the same dignity and the same deference that we would treat another adult. And we wouldn't tell another adult who came to us and said they were upset about something or were crying about something. We wouldn't tell them to calm down and be quiet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we wouldn't do it. We would treat them with respect. So that it's a big thing. Be respectful, you know, support their autonomy, listen and, and, you know, validate them as human beings with feelings and emotions and not just a robot that we have to manage and make behave. Well, so this is a great segue. I, I have to say, Anne, I've listened to your podcast, Speaking of Teens. Oh, my gosh. And actually, this morning, I had somebody call me and uh, have ha- they have a foster child. And this young lady is, whoa, oh yeah, testing. Oh, yeah, testing yeah. the waters like you wouldn't believe. And I said, I directed them. I said, go to this podcast, episode, <laughs> number, episode number 68, Parenting to Avoid Conflict and Behavior Issues with a Teenager. <laughs> and you're going to leave with five or six strategies to be like, boom. <laughs> So, oh goodness. Yeah, you're, and you're, she's probably dealing with trauma too. That's the course. thing. And separation yeah. and, and not yes. feeling loved and probably being loved from one home to another home. Yes. And, you know, just That's knowing that they, they're going to stick it out and not give up on her. You know, there's yes. huge things. But you speak on, oh. I, I love, there's so much. Anyway, let's talk about your podcast. Okay. So speaking of teens. And I started it about, I guess it's been about 18 months ago. And so we we do two episodes a week. I do a longer episode on Tuesday where we kind of do a deep dive. And I do a lot of solo episodes that are very deeply researched, or we bring on an expert. And um, on Fridays, we do like a little short version and, you know, something that's come to mind or something I've seen, you know, a Facebook group, some mom having a problem, you know, we talk about those issues. But um, we all, I also have been writing for about a year and a half, all kinds of free parenting guides. And I have all of those on the website. So you can just go to speakingofteens.com and up at the top is a tab. It says free resources. And so I have downloads for everything from, you know, your kid having anxiety or ADHD or, you know, I'd love to write. So I've written a lot. And the one about emotion coaching is called 10 keys to unlock your teen's emotional intelligence. So just remember 10 keys, the number 10. Yeah. And And then for your own emotional awareness, there is a guide called Emotional Awareness Strategies that is really good. And and soon I'm opening up a monthly membership for moms and dads and teens even hopefully to come in and learn these things on a monthly basis and go through a course, a base course, and then bring in experts to talk about things on a monthly basis. So I'm trying to do all I can (laughs) to prevent parents from making those mistakes I made and to do better than I did. So, and you left um, practicing law. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like snuck out of it. I just quit <laughs> calling clients back and kind of ignored them. I feel so bad. But yeah, so I am, uh, yeah, I'm a very poor person right now, but I'm doing what I want to do. So that's more important than anything to me. Oh, brilliant. Now, you mentioned earlier Facebook. You have, is that where your parenting club is located? Well, I have a free Facebook group, okay. uh, speaking of teens, Facebook group. So in there, as a matter of fact, I'm doing some lives on there on Fridays, the next couple of Fridays. I don't know what this when this will air. But anyway, you can come on into the the uh, free Facebook group and we do people are welcome to ask questions there and get feedback from me and the other members. And, you know, we we're in there every single day. So, yes, it's just speaking of teens on Facebook. OK, so. Uh, I'm going to reflect on the phone call I got earlier today. What What's the first thing, the very first step? Is it is it about taking a step back as a parent, as a teacher, as an adult and saying, I need to control my own emotional, I need to do emotional regulation for myself. Is that the first step? When is that what we're talking about? If you have a combative relationship with a young person, yeah. what's the first yeah. thing you would say we need to do? Well, the first thing I would do actually is 
I would I would talk to the teen and say, look, this is I think pretty important is asking for a do over. <laughs> And going to your teen and saying, look, I know what we've been doing or what I've been doing has not been working. It's not good. I have learned that there are things that I need to change about the way I communicate with you and the way I parent you. I'm going to start learning those things today. So I'm asking for you to forgive me and to give me a do-over and to try to forget the way I've done it in the past because I'm starting right now to try to learn. But be patient with me because this is not going to be easy for me. I've been doing it this way and it's going to be hard for me to change. So please be patient with me. And then you need to start learning all you can about the things we've talked about today, about the teenage brain, about how to regulate your own emotions, how to, you know, and again, all these free guides will help you with this, how to discipline the right way, how to emotion coach them. And you just need, I mean, I tell people the first step really is actually admitting you have a problem. It's kind of like being Mm. an alcoholic. You know, Mm. you've got to admit that this is not the way to do things. And I know there are people out there that just will not admit that being a hard ass on your teenager is not the way to do it. And if you can't admit that, You can't go any further. You've got to admit, it's like Dr. Phil says, how's that working for you? (laughs) You know? Yeah. It kind of leads me to the next question. You know, so two parents, one of them is stuck in the, oh, I'm gonna do it my way. Hey, it worked for me. Worked for me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, someone who wants to go down that path, that's not easy to do either. It is not easy. And that is exactly where my husband and I were because he intuitively knew that what I was doing was wrong and he was not doing that. And so we were at each other's throats. And that's a terrible position to be in because I, I know some moms, as a matter of fact, right now who are in the position of trying to convince their husbands that this is not the way to be. And it is hard. I, you know, I don't really, other than trying to go to a family therapist who does understand how to do this parenting thing, because I know there are people out there that don't actually understand it. But if you can find a good family therapist, that's where I would start there. Um, You know, trying to get on the same page with your parenting and, and, you know, trying to get that family therapist to help this other person see that what they're doing is not working. And, you know, th- it ought to be a no brainer because, you know, you would think at some point, but it took me two years and a family therapist to tell me that what I was doing was not working, although it was clearly not working. But I thought this, I just needed to do more of it if I just did more of it. So yeah, that's a hard position to be in. But if you are the one, and you're listening and you're the one who is being the hard ass and the authoritarian and (laughs) trying to beat this out of your kid and punish this out of your kid, I am telling you, it is possible to admit you're wrong. I did it. I instantly did it. There are people that just have a harder time with it. I was so desperate to help my child. I would have walked on the moon with no oxygen or whatever. I mean, I would have done anything. So Mm -hmm. if you want to help, your child admit that what you're doing is not working and that you need to do something else and then do what I did and start studying. Take the time, make the time and take the initiative to learn what you need to learn and put into place the skills and the tools and everything that you need to do so that you can help your child. I think I have a similar situation with one of my children, but my revelation was needing to be in control. And then I I went back to my childhood. I mean, this is part of it, right? Okay. My father was on the road. He was an entertainer. I was kind of the surrogate mother from the time I was nine on and off. Right. So, but once you come to that realization, you say, I guess the question for me came, is this the way I want things to continue for another week, for another month? Is this the way our whole future relationship is going to be? This isn't working. And my husband, we're very similar. We're very very similar in terms of our approaches. And, and, but I had to go to therapy myself to say, what am I? And then, and same kind of thing. Holy cow. 
I'm not asking the right questions. I'm imposing what I think as opposed to, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a lot of introspection. I mean, you have to be willing to do that work though. You know, a lot of people don't even realize that they need to do that deep work on themselves. And, you know, you hear all the time, you know, yes, your kid is acting out and no, it's not your fault, honey. It's not your fault. Well, guess what? A lot of it is your fault. Mm. A lot of it is that's your hard. Fault. That's hard to take. It's hard. It's, true. it's, it's true. very hard to take. And yeah. I, you know, and I hate telling people that because, you know, their temperament is not your fault. You know, if you've got and if you have a child who's been through foster care and they've had trauma, that's not your fault. But a lot of what we do can be changed and our behavior impacts our kids' behavior. There mm-hmm. is no way no around that. It. Yeah. They're little mirrors. <laughs> yes, they are. And if we can mirror back some good stuff, then we're going to get good stuff. But if we give crap, we're going to get crap. It's crap in, crap out the same, oh, wow. you know, oh. with your parenting. <laughs> well, and you have shared so much with us today. Uh, I don't even know if you could give us a closing comment because there's just so many things <laughs> I want to go back and listen to over and over again. Yeah. I mean, I would just say, you know, my closing comment is, you know, be willing to admit when what you're doing is not working. I mean, that's that's just the biggest thing. Be willing to admit what you're doing is leading you down a bad road. If, like you said, if you've been trying it for weeks or months and it has nothing has changed or your child's behavior has gotten worse, then you need to stop what you're doing and do some deep introspection, learn some new ways and ask for a do-over, and then do it over, and do it right this time. Ask for a do-over. Oh, yep. Incredible. Incredible. Fresh start for everyone. That's and right. As lo- and, I, and my guess is 99.9% of the time, your teen is going to want to start over too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Don't you know it? <laughs> yeah. They don't want to continue in the conflict mm, either. Mm, heck no. no. Bless their hearts. Uh, well, uh, can you tell honor. them from the South? Bless their hearts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're up here in Southern Canada and I'll just, pr- I'll just mm. pronounce my O's. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you today, Anne. Uh, and uh, hey, everyone, we're going to, as we normally do, we'll put the contact information in the show notes, follow up and seek out uh, any of the supports that Anne is offering you and make a decision for yourself and your family on uh, how you might want to change things or how you will change things for the future of your child. And our next guest will be Dr. Sharon Pike from Essex County, Ontario. She is a retired superintendent who specializes in mental health and now is pulling community organizations together as another way to offer supports to parents, guardians, youth, and children. And we close by checking our compass and learning what we need to as we empower our children to face those ups and downs of life, which will surely come. Be well, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Taking the Helm. We hope that Lynn and her guests have provided valuable insights on how to create a safe emotional space for children and youth that empowers them to be their best selves. It starts with us at home and in our communities. Until we talk again, be well.